We want more. More ice cream, more Netflix series. Like, it gets late at night and you think, just one more episode. We want to travel to more countries. We want to get more qualifications. We want more. We want more. We want more. In today's passage, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8. And the Apostle Paul touches on this topic of more. It's a really positive message whilst covering the challenging topic of sanctification and sexual immorality. Now, most Bible translations, if you were to look at that passage in your Bibles, it has a title, something like, Live to Please God. And today in this passage, Paul is going to challenge us, all of us, to shift our posture and desires so that we live to please God more and more. Now, before we jump into chapter 4, let's just reflect on where we've got to in Thessalonians in this series so far. So the Apostle Paul, he'd visited the Thessalonians for literally only a matter of weeks, and yet the gospel had landed and taken root. Many Jews, Gentiles, Romans and Greeks had turned to the Lord. Paul deeply cared about this new church. And so he'd sent Timothy to check, is it even still going or not? And Timothy comes back with this glowing report that the Thessalonian church is not only just going, but it's actually thriving. So the Apostle Paul pens this letter, 1 Thessalonians. And as we've been hearing the first three chapters, Paul is full of praise to the Thessalonian church. He's so overjoyed at the report that they are doing well and that the gospel had powerfully taken root and was growing. So that's where we're up to so far. So let's pick it up in chapter four if you have your Bibles ready. We're going to read verses one to eight and it's going to come up on your screens as well. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Wow, what a passage. So let's jump in and delve into what this is saying. So verse 1 says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Paul highlights that the Thessalonians were doing well in pleasing God. But he urges them to do it more and more. Remember, these are relatively new Christians. This is a new church. This isn't a passage of Paul telling them off. It's much more a passionate encouragement to keep on more and more in their new walk with the Lord. Because there is more and more to be gained in Jesus. 
Just imagine little Billy, he's playing his first ever baseball match. All the parents are in the crowd watching, everyone's excited. Little Billy gets up with his baseball bat for his first ever match. And he lines up and he gets his bat ready. And the pitcher does a fastball and Billy goes, doesn't even swing. (laughs) So he's like, okay. So the pitcher rolls up, does a fastball again. This time Billy swings, but his, his timing's all off. Poor Billy. So the pitcher tries a curveball. And Billy's on to this now. So the pitcher throws the ball. Curveball comes in. Billy takes a swing. The timing's perfect. And crack! Hits the ball. And the ball jettisons to the back of the field. And the field runners, they're all running to get the ball. And Billy's like, whoa! Drops the bat and starts running as fast as he can. The crowd's going wild. Everyone's happy. He's doing great. But then he stops at the first base. What do you think all the parents do in the crowd? They're not going to shout, Billy, what's wrong with you? You've done wrong. This is terrible. They're like, Billy, this is great. Come on. Keep going. The ball's at the back. They still haven't got it. Run. That is what Paul is trying to get across in this message. He's not having a go. He's passionately pleading with the Thessalonians and to us. Come on. There's more. You're doing well. Don't stop. Can you hear the Lord's call today? That's what I'm praying we will all hear. You're doing great. But I urge you, do it more and more. In verse 2, Paul reminds them that he'd already instructed them when he was briefly there on how to live in order to please God. And he said this in verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. I just want to pause here for a minute because the context to this is really cool. Paul was with the Thessalonians for just a matter of weeks. In that time, he shared the gospel, led them to the Lord, and gave them basic instructions on living to please God. He's an overachiever. (laughs) But if we were to turn to Acts 15, we'd get an insight into why Paul is going to single out this issue of sexual immorality as so important. In Acts 15, the leaders have met in Jerusalem because Gentiles were turning to Jesus as well as Jews. So some Jews were insisting that the new Gentiles needed to be circumcised. And this caused quite a debate, which, without going into the details, it resulted in James, who was Jesus' half-brother, saying this in Acts 15, verses 19 to 20. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. This was incredible because the Jews had 613 commandments to live by and they were a big deal to them. But here the Council of Jerusalem are simplifying it right down and saying this, abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. It's then this Paul who is commissioned to take this very message with the gospel to the various churches. And just two chapters later in Acts 17, Paul arrives in Thessalonica. So as Paul is writing this letter, letter 1 Thessalonians, and he's saying in verse 2, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul is reminding them that he'd already taught them this in person, those simple rules And a big area was sexual immorality. Now, 
just want to reassure you that I'm well aware there's a mix of ages listening in person and listening online, including my kids. So please be assured that I have been very careful putting this together on what sort of language to use. But we're not going to avoid the topic because it's a big and important topic. So we're going to look at three areas where there's more. First, there's more when we are sanctified. Paul shifts very quickly in verse 3 to this challenging topic and says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Did you hear that? It's God's will that the Thessalonians, and that in turn means all believers, including you and me, if we profess to be followers of Jesus, that we be sanctified to avoid sexual immorality. You know, one of the most common questions Christians ask is, how do I know what God's will is for my life? It's a great question. But often in asking that, what we're really asking is for details like, you know, what should I do when I leave school? Uh, where should I live? What course should I take? Should I marry this person? Now, they're all great and important questions, but they're kind of secondary issues. Here, we actually discover what God's will is in this context for each and every one of us. God's will is that we are sanctified to avoid sexual immorality. So why should we care? Well, we should care because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he has amazing plans for our life because he loves us. If we truly are sanctified by Jesus and live a life without sexual immorality, then we become more and more like Jesus. And in turn, we discover the more of all the other wonderful things that God has for us, which includes what job to do, where we should live and all that. But they're secondary issues. God cares first. God's will in this context is that we are sanctified and free from sexual immorality. But we should also care because living in sexual immorality will not only trip us up, but it can actually wreck our walk with the Lord. In fact, Let's read verses four to seven in one go and hear the tone of it. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Can you hear how serious this topic is? No wonder they singled this issue out at the Council of Jerusalem. Now, let's just clarify what we're talking about when we use the words sanctified and sexual immorality. Sanctified, the Greek word used in today's passage is hagiasmos. I don't know that, I'm not clever, I looked it up. <laughs> Which means to be consecrated, purified and made holy. So biblical sanctification actually has three parts to it. There's our past sanctification. When we become Christians and choose to turn from our old lives and ask Jesus to forgive us and restore us to God the Father, then we are sanctified by Christ and set free from the power of sin. Then there's our present sanctification. We are being sanctified, an ongoing work of becoming more holy with the help of the Holy Spirit, becoming more free from the practice of sin. And then there one day will be our future sanctification. That one day we as Christians will be totally sanctified. As believers, when we meet the Lord face to face, we'll be set free totally from sin and made perfect in our heavenly bodies. 
So simply put, sanctification is the process of becoming holy, becoming sinless, sinning less, and becoming more like Jesus. Sexual immorality, to understand what sexual immorality is, we need to understand what sexual purity is. And the simple answer to that is this. God designed a man and a woman to marry, to enter the covenant of marriage, and to enjoy physical relations alongside spiritual and emotional with one another for both enjoyment and to have children. In simple terms, sexual immorality is essentially the engagement in any sexual acts outside of marriage. Now that's a bold statement to make. And you might be thinking, how do we know God is only okay with this kind of intimate physical relationship to be between a man and a woman joined in marriage? And that's a great question, because I asked the very same question when I was in my early 20s. I was quite a new Christian. I was at music college. And I somehow knew that as Christians, this kind of intimate physical relationship was reserved only for marriage. I'm not really sure why I knew that, but I just did. So then I was one day at a student small group, and we had a very clever leader. And we were talking about the whole topic of purity. And he says this. Does the Bible really say no before marriage? It was a very clever question because what he really wanted was for us to make our own minds up biblically, not culturally or in any other way, but biblically. Well, it worked. I left that meeting feeling duped. I was like, could it be possible I've been sold a lie that this whole purity before marriage thing isn't for real? What if the Bible doesn't say that? Well, I stayed up till 3 a.m. that night trawling through my Bible. I wanted to find out what it said. Guess what I found out by 3 a.m. that morning? The Bible doesn't say the sentence, no, before marriage. But guess what? I discovered by 3 a.m. that the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. And if you're in any doubt, like I was, I'd encourage you to go hunting in your Bible for your own clarification. Here's just a snippet of some passages you could go to. There's 1 Corinthians 7.2, Galatians 5.19-21, Mark 10.6-8, 1 Corinthians 6.18-20, and Hebrews 13.4. And the joy of technology, you can rewind it and pause that screen if you want to go looking at it later on. There's tons more verses about this topic, and I'd really encourage you to delve into the Bible yourself. But for me, by 3 a.m. that night, or the morning, the issue was settled in my heart, and I've honestly never questioned it since. So sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. And this includes what we think about, what and how we talk about this topic, whether that be online, in person, on our phones, what we expose our eyes to on our screens, what we read, and all of this, whether we're on our own or with someone else. But it also means how we relate to the opposite sex. What attitudes do we have towards members of the opposite sex? Verse 6 said this, In this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Just as an aside, when he talks about brother or sister in this context, the Greek word is adelphos, which refers to a believer, whether a man or a woman, as part of God's family. It doesn't mean your actual brother or sister. So I'm not off the hook being an only child. Are we treating others and are we talking about them in a way that is respectful, godly and pure? 
Or are we treating them and talking about them in a crude, sexualized, and ungodly manner? I'd love to delve into this topic much deeper, but we have sensitive ears and we need to be wise about that. So, firstly, there's more when you live to please God by being sanctified. Secondly, there's more when we control our own body. Now, interestingly, Jesus took this whole issue of sexual immorality to a whole other level. In Matthew 5, verse 27, Jesus said this, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. It's from the Ten Commandments. But I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa, the bar's been raised. You know, I I personally find it so encouraging that Jesus didn't say, you should live like this, and then he went and lived like this. Jesus really authentically lived his message. He remained sinless, holy, and pure his entire life, and single. And just as a side note, singleness is not second rate. Singleness is actually a genuine call for some by the Lord. You know, this whole topic of Jesus being authentic. Um, A few days ago, we had to have loads of health checks done as part of our immigration process. We've been here 18 months, and we've got 18 more months before we get kicked out to get our permanent residency, so please pray for that. But we're having these health checks done, one of which was to have a chest x-ray. So we took it in turns. I eventually go through to the room, and you have to take your T-shirt off. And then the, the, the nurse lady comes over and says, right, if you'll stand in front of this glass screen with a black cross and press your chest against it like that. I'm like, okay, okay. She goes, right, just stand there. I'm like, okay. And then she walks off and she goes and stands behind a bomb-proof wall. She looks at me through four-inch thick glass and goes, everything's going to be all right. And I'm like, you come out here then. And she's like, oh no. (laughs) Authenticity. Jesus really was and is authentic. He really lived his message. When Jesus calls us to purity and holiness, he modelled it, he lived it, He knows how hard it is, and yet he's still saying, you can do it in my strength. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who's unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus totally understands all our situations This topic of sexual immorality is a big deal to God. And it's why Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you guys are doing great, but I urge you, come on, keep on. There's more, there's more, keep running. Verse four to five says this, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Now this is where we've got to, ramp up the level ourselves and start to be really honest about a couple of things. One, yes, Thessalonica historically was a major city with an ungodly culture permeating right through it. The new believers had to overcome the temptations that were all around them and they were accepted as normal and okay practice in that time in history. But that doesn't mean that we can say, well, that was then and this is now. I think temptations are more rampant in 2020 than in any other time in history, and mainly because of accessibility. Just to put that statement into context, most parents, myself included, we can naively think that our kids are immune to dangers online, that their kids are too innocent, they're too smart, or they're just too good to get involved with adult material. 
But get ready to be scared. The average age of first exposure to explicit material is 11 years of age. And 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have viewed something explicit online. In addition to those horrifying statistics, the sort of stuff that kids have been exposed to are far more graphic, violent, deviant, and destructive and accessible than ever before. So we need to be honest that we all face massive challenges to live a pure and holy life. We are being bombarded. Our kids are being bombarded. We need to be sanctified by the Lord and we need his help. Secondly, we have to be honest about the temptations that we're personally wrestling with and the sin that we might be stuck in. If not, we're not going to be honest and invite God in to help us. What tempts us when we're tired, we're stressed, we're alone and anxious? What have we looked at on our phone, our tablet, our computer, our games console? What book have we read on our Kindle? Or even in person that we desperately hope no one finds out about? That's what we need to be honest about. And the truth is, God already knows. In 2020, we are facing unprecedented pressures. COVID, riots, elections, poverty, racial injustice, unemployment, uncertainties, and isolation. Pressure is mounting from every side. And in all of that, there's a spiritual battle waging for our souls. In our stress and anxiety, in our weakness and isolation, the tempter is tempting. And we're vulnerable, aren't we? I know I am. But praise the Lord, Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. Jesus came to sanctify us and he wants to help us to control our body. Jesus came so that we could experience the more of the kingdom of God, the more of becoming more like Jesus, the more of knowing the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. I'm talking about a deep faith that enables us to say no to the temptations of sin and yes to Jesus. I'm talking about a deeply rooted joy in the Lord that pushes away all the schemes of the devil and brings us the more and more into purity and holiness. Let's just be real and honest about this. Remember, Paul is writing to a whole bunch of new believers and he doesn't shy away from this topic because it's so important. We should know where the line of purity is and back well away from it. From certain films, videos and images we cannot handle, certain TV shows and late night channels we have no business watching. There are certain websites we should avoid, certain apps on our devices that we should just delete. Certain times we shouldn't even be on a device. There are certain people who, to pursue relationship with them, weakens us, whether in person or online. And there are certain clothes that should just not be worn. There are settings too tempting, touches too personal, and liberties that are too much for us to handle. When it comes to temptation, the Bible is clear on the strategy. And that strategy is run away. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Don't debate it. Don't flirt with it. Don't see how close to the line you can come. Run and run fast. You know, a transport company placed a very important ad in a local newspaper that read this. Wanted conscientious and experienced truck driver to transport TNT explosives across narrow mountain roads. Pay is very good. Three brave drivers interviewed for the job. 
And the foreman asked each of, the one, each of them this same question. When you turn a corner on a tight mountain road, how close to the edge can you drive without slipping off? Well, the first driver responded, oh, I've had years of experience at all that. I can get as close as a foot from the edge. Well, the second applicant says, wow, I can hang the outside or the edge of my tyre over the edge of the mountain and still stay on the road. Well, the third man replied, well, I respect the load and the danger. I don't even want to get close enough to find out. Who do you think got the job? Sin is like TNT. It's dangerous. Remember verse 3 said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. You should avoid sexual immorality. Run, flee. You know, Paul says avoid any sexual activity outside of marriage. And the word used here is apeko, which means abstain. And abstain simply means to choose not to do or have something. Anything sexual outside a marriage relationship is wrong according to God in his word. And we should abstain from it. And we've actually put a couple of tools on our website just last night ready for you to help you with this. There's loads of stuff out there that will help us. I just put a few on there. Some stuff for parents, for their kids, personal accountability, and a really cool John Piper thing called Anthem that will give you some tools towards purity. So if you want to head there afterwards, you can. But also, just as an encouragement, one of the biggest schemes of the devil is to isolate us. And isolation is a big thing currently, isn't it? When we're stuck in sin or struggling with temptation, we need to get support from other Christians. We need to find someone we trust in the Lord who can hold us accountable. Maybe someone in your small group or talk to one of the pastors would love to help. But just don't allow yourself to be isolated. God puts other believers around us to bring things into the light. So firstly, there's more when you live to please God by being sanctified. Second, there's more when we control our own body. And thirdly, there's more when we live a holy life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 to 8 says this. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. John Piper in his amazing book, Desiring God, uses this phrase. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Becoming holy, being sanctified, cannot be achieved just in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. On our good days, maybe we could dig deep enough and put in enough self-effort to avoid temptation, but not every day is an easy day, is it? And the season we're in currently, things are tough. And we are vulnerable. Yes, we are 100% responsible for our choices and actions. But we don't need to walk in a sinful lifestyle just trying harder. What we can do is daily invite the Holy Spirit into our life. Not just once a day, but constantly throughout the day. So that we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. When we try harder, we just seem to fall short, don't we? But when we rely on Jesus more and more... Something supernatural is activated by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we cry out, Lord, I need you, he responds. When we confess, Lord, I've messed up, I'm in a hole, please help me, please forgive me, please set my feet back on the right path. 
You know, he forgives and he sanctifies us. When we ask, Lord, help me run away from this temptation, he always provides a way out. In fact, a Bible verse I hold tight to my heart is this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The devil is constantly tempting us. He's trying to make us turn away from the Lord and find our joy in anything other than God and trap us in sin. But God is calling us and inviting us today into holiness in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry, a famous biblical commentator, said this. The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. You know, God never gives up on us. I have messed up on numerous occasions, which I won't go into details because of our listeners, but feel free, if you want to chat to me one-on-one, I'd be more than happy to. When I was a young pastor in my early 20s, I'd never had any clear guidance on purity. I'd come from a history of issues online, so I ended up in a hole, a very deep, dark hole, and I thought it was game over. But God forgave me. When I confessed, he rescued me, and he set my feet back on the rock of Jesus. And it was, and it is, an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Pastors aren't immune. No one's immune from temptation. All believers are in a spiritual battle. So let's be honest. Let's be real about it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So to summarize, we're being invited to please God more and more because there's more when we are sanctified. There's more when we control our own body and there's more when we live a holy life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need to humbly choose to come before God himself to be sanctified, to receive the Lord's help and control in our own bodies and to be made holy through the power of the Holy Spirit. What will we choose to do in response to this incredible invitation from God to please him more and more?